Hey. hey, you're listening to Avid Research. Avid Research. Avid Research. An Australian STEM podcast where we answer the questions you never quite got around to asking. Welcome back to the show team. My name's Amelia and today we have yet another interesting experimental episode and it's going to be very cool. We have two awesome guests and we're going to be talking a little bit about a particular program called the Navigate program and a bit about how STEM and defense work together. So starting with welcoming Vanessa, who is a structural and systems vulnerability researcher. Welcome, Vanessa. Thanks, Amelia. Thank you for having me today. Absolute pleasure. And we also have Dr. Mel, who is the Navigate program lead. Welcome, Dr. Mel. Welcome. Thank you. So Starting with Dr. Mel, are you able to give us a bit of the elevator pitch about what the Navigate program is and why it's awesome? Sure. So the Navigate program is a really exciting program run by Defence. This is our first year. It's our pilot. Uh, And it's to bring mid-career and senior researchers, scientists and technologists into the organisation. And so it works a little bit like a graduate program where we get to have people come in and, and try Uh, working in defence science uh, with two six-month rotations. Uh, There's a development program included so you can start to understand the complexities of the defence research areas. And also you get to have some mentoring as well. So it's a really great opportunity to come in to learn and then we place you based on what your areas of research research is and also where we think you'd best fit within our organisation. Fantastic. What inspired this program to get started? Yeah, so we're doing this program as part of the Champions of Change Coalition, which is a group of uh, CEOs in the STEM space, but there's also ones in other areas. And our chief defence scientists wanted to do a bold action that would really have an effect on our gender equity in the organisation. So we're really targeting this to uh, increase the number of women at our mid and senior levels. Um, We're also looking at bringing more Indigenous Australians into our organisation as well. And we're doing this by having a 40-40-20 target, which means we have 40% women, 40% men and 20% of any gender, um, so that we can really start to um, increase those numbers in our organisation. That's pretty awesome. It sounds, sounds positive. What kind of researchers are you looking for? Like, can they be anybody? Yeah, absolutely. So they can. We're really looking for a diversity of background, experience, Um, and a whole range of different areas of of science and technology. So we're not limiting it to specific areas. Okay, so we're not just looking for, say, aerospace engineers? No, no, anyone. Anyone. You're all welcome. Are you hearing? You're all welcome. (laughs) So for a lot of people, they might have done some research but not necessarily considered defence before. I think it can be a bit of a, um, I guess, a... A blank wall. It could be anything could be behind there. Are you able to give some examples of different areas where they like where defense does research? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a whole range of different areas that we do research in and some areas where you probably wouldn't even think defense works in. So for example, uh, we do work around food and, and food technology. So with our um, defence personnel maybe having ration packs, so we do research into those sorts of areas. Uh, psychology as well is another area where people wouldn't necessarily assume defence does, does research in. 
Um, we have platform technologists, people that work with drones, uh, corrosion. There's just a huge, wide variety of uh, areas we work in um, across yeah, our different three services, so Army, Navy and Air Force and our industry partners as well. Sounds like it might have been a better question for me to ask what you don't do. <laughs> Is there anything you don't do? No, it's okay. <laughs> Food technology. I love that idea. I've, I have occasionally come across a ration pack and, you know, they, they sort of end up out there in the world. And there's been some good and bad things. I love the idea that there's research going into that. That's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but we don't just have Dr. Mel here. We also have uh, Vanessa, who's working in that structural and systems section that Dr. Mel just mentioned. Vanessa, are you able to tell us a little bit about what your job is? Yeah, Amelia. Um, so, yes, my title is a bit of a mouthful and uh, doesn't necessarily explain much about what I do. Um, but so a structural and systems vulnerability researcher is my sort of bespoke title and I more specifically investigate uh, the effects of weapons um, detonation against maritime platforms. So our um, ships that might go out into operation can often face threats, which is sort of one of the niche aspects of defence in itself. Um, And so my research looks at how we can better understand Uh, the structural response of our platforms. Um, So if a weapon was to detonate against one of our vessels, what is sort of the damage zone that we could expect? How might our uh, systems respond to that? How can we better design our platforms to ensure their safety in such threat environments and how we might better operate our vessels to make sure that we keep our sailors safe on operational missions? That is so specific. and Very specific. <laughs> it's also, I guess, like the classic defence bit of defence. Like I think often in popular culture we think about defence as more being offensive, like the, the attacky side, for want of a better phrase. But that's really thinking about how we can, I guess, take hits better. Yeah, yeah. So it's one thing I definitely um, enjoy about my my job is that it's about, you know, the safety aspect of um, our people in the ADF and how they um, can do their jobs knowing that they'll come home safely. I'll admit when you started talking about that, I was thinking that you might have a pool with lots of miniature boats in it and you sort of like lob that, I don't know, small, teeny tiny explosives at it and it, it, it will all be done on a miniature scale. On reflection, that's unlikely to be the actual case. Are you able to tell us a little bit about how you actually do your research? Yeah, absolutely. Although that sounds quite fun. Maybe we should look <laughs> at, uh, at building a mini pool with little boats and mini weapons. Yeah, so I guess our research is kind of um, broken up into different segments. So um, if you think about solving the problem Um, We look at structural um, design from the aspect of materials, so what's sort of the best material that we might use on our platform um, in specific areas, what kind of armour or thickness of that material might give us the best sort of uh, protective measures against certain threats, 
we do experiments so we'll build um so we do experiments from both the material level through to the structural level where we'll um maybe build a structure and then detonate some explosives inside of it to test our theories about the protection level of that structure um, we also try and use a lot of predictive analysis so we'll do finite element modeling or come up with bespoke equations or algorithms uh, to try and predict the effects that we might expect on these structures because if I don't know if you would know this but it's quite expensive to do <laughs> big experimental trials so as much and I think this is a, a big thing about defense in general we try and use um, the tools available to us as much as possible so modeling and simulation um, in defense science so that we can have the most um, broad but effective understanding of the problem that we're trying to solve and then we do experiments to sort of validate our hypothesis in in a lot of those areas so it's still very much following the traditional scientific method yeah, absolutely. So it's, I mean, it's a niche space. So the understanding generally, whether it's specifically in Australia or internationally, is, I guess, limited to what people have uh, experienced or the, or the little bits of research that is undertaken by our defence researchers or in industry or academia where we're able to sort of get them involved in that kind of stuff um, and then also internationally we lean quite heavily on our international relationships to share information and um, share our scientific understanding of how we might best perform experiments to get the best results or what is the the most up-to-date modeling and simulation kind of uh, aspects that we could use to get the best results for our science so I think that maybe answers your question, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I think what one of the things I'm trying to, I guess, get out of both of you is how much research in defense reflects like research that might be done in in standard settings like universities and things where we have like more people come on the podcast from those those fields. And I think one of the things that people love is that collaboration and just hearing that there's still collaboration. It's not just you locked in a dark box somewhere doing experiments. Like you, you're still talking to other people and there is international sort of connections being made, I think is important for people to hear. Yeah, most definitely. Mel, did you want to say anything on this one or do you want me to... Defence is doesn't work in a bubble, so we are uh, highly collaborative across the university, the industry uh, and the international space as well. So we work with a lot of international partners. Um, our defence strategy, which is the more together strategy, is really built around making sure that we tap into all of these different resources we have um, across the country and internationally so that we can do our job um, in the best way possible. So that's a really something that's really important to us within defence. In my current work program, we actually um, have relationships uh, through the defence, so sorry, defence material science and technology centre, so DMTC, which includes working with ANSTO, so our Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation. 
Um, we also work with Swinburne University. Um, we work with the University of Tasmania, um, all to solve quite a complex problem for defence. Um, so we're definitely utilising the networks as much as possible um, to both come up with a really robust research program, but also to execute it. It does. It sounds kind of fun, actually. It sounds interesting. How did you end up in this role, Vanessa? Like, what was your path, say, from high school to where you are now? Yes. Okay. Um, So my path was when I was in high school, I really wanted to be a pilot, um, more specifically an Air Force pilot. Um, I wanted to fly fast jets and I was like super excited about that. Till I found out I was too short to do exactly what I wanted to do. (laughs) Yeah. How how much? A couple of centimetres. But uh, that didn't kind of deter me. I also thought that I would just do piloting in general. But then my mother was quite insistent that I go to university and do a university degree. And I was like, well, I love flying and I love aviation. So I'll do an aerospace engineering degree or an aeronautical engineering degree was my my specific one. And um, one thing I just really loved about that was essentially the the research and technical understanding side of it. Um, I was really interested in materials and um, material analysis and then I graduated university right after the global financial crisis um, in 2009 and sort of the collapse of the aerospace industry in Australia for quite a period of time so there was me graduating with my aerospace or aeronautical engineering degree with um sort of very limited job prospects but I was incredibly lucky that um, what was then Defence Science and Technology Organisation but um, now Defence Science and Technology Group was recruiting um, where pretty much no one else was and I put in my application through my hat in the ring and was lucky enough to get a role which is pretty much the job that I have now. I came in as a graduate um, and I came in with a bunch of other really amazing um, graduates at the same time so we kind of built up this really really cool community of of what we call sort of new starters into the organization and we've kind of developed our careers um, at defense science and technology group together and yeah it's kind of been an interesting sort of pathway in defense. I've been there for uh, 11 years now and my job has essentially been the same the whole time that I've been there but with a lot of variability. So what I mean by that is um, there are a lot of I guess a, a, a job in defense science is kind of what you make of it as well. So there are a lot of opportunities to do different aspects of research in the organization and um, I had the opportunity to go overseas for a year and I actually did um, some combat uh, combat systems modeling which was completely <laughs> like new to me but that was um, quite fun and uh, very different and I've also um, right now I'm actually involved in the 
um, one of the star shots. I'm not sure whether you're familiar with the star shots. So the star shots is a um, big sort of reach for the stars kind of research program that um, defense science is undertaking with the prospect of how can we best deliver the most important requirements to defense um, in the next 10 years. And so I'm involved in developing one of the one of these starshots called the Battle Ready Platform Starshot, um, sort of coming up with the requirements and the program scope for that as well. So you can kind of, you can do your thing, you can do your science and your research, um, but there's also opportunities to get involved in broader aspects of, of defence science as well, which is really cool. So it's not as simple as they tell you what to do and you do that for the next 10 years? No, I mean, you're more than welcome to do that if you're exceptionally passionate about your your job and that's what you, you want to do. As long as um, it is relevant and um, gives impact to defence, like you'll be 100% supported in doing that. But there's also many opportunities to find avenues that you also find interesting within defence science as well. Have you got mentors within the organisation that sort of support you in finding and taking opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my biggest mentors in defence has been someone who's been sort of in my line management for a long time. Um, She's just been an incredible, um, I guess, guidance to me throughout my career. She's always made sure that um, you know, checking in with me to make sure that what I'm doing is um, satisfying and um, making sure that you know, I am considering um, my career path and what I, as much as what I can give to defense, what I want to get out from it as well, which is really, really great. Um, and she's also just been an inspiration just in her own um, work ethic and success and ability so that's been really fantastic then I've got um, a couple of other colleagues um, people that I've met throughout my career that are always happy to have uh, conversations about both work and um, so like the actual science but also just give advice on like the best way to establish an international collaborative program or the best way to um, engage with certain industry partners or the best way to tackle uh, a problem that perhaps we've not had to deal with before. So there's just so much um, community and uh, guidance within and experience within defence that as long as you're willing to have the conversations with people and to reach out and to make those connections yeah there's just there's a lot I've I've been really lucky to have a lot of really brilliant people in my career you're doing a wonderful job of making it sound it sound pretty awesome (laughs) I am curious though in academia obviously there's this sort of like publish or perish thing where you have to be publishing papers all the time and there's also a bit of like going to conferences and being I guess, seen to be doing research. How does that fit in defence? Like, do you guys still have to publish papers? Yes. So (laughs) we definitely do have to publish papers and we have to go to conferences and we have to engage with the research community, um, partly because 
it's our responsibility as a research organization for the government um, to make sure that our like the taxpayer investment ends up back in the community as much as possible. It's also, you know, the best way to engage with the science and research community and make sure that we're making the best connections with with industry and academia and international researchers that we can. So, um, and it's also about, you know, showing that defence science is of the highest caliber that it is so yeah there's a whole bunch of reasons and so yeah it is very important that we do that and we do fantastic i love this concept of like giving back to the community because it's still like it is taxpayer money that's going into it and it's great that i was wondering is there any sort of feedback from your research that can get applied more broadly yes so while not specifically, I guess when you think about my research being um, involving blast science and structural response and effects, there's some underlying um, characteristics of that science that applies to, say, the oil and gas industry or the mining industry. There's also just generally, so my broader area uh, or field, so I like my research links into the broader recoverability sort of piece. So how um, we can make platforms more survivable. How can, if there's an event, how can you recover from that? So there's also elements um, of my research that go into say, well, maybe not my research specifically, but generally the connectedness of my research might go into um, shipping or um, or domestic cruises of how we can, um, if there's a fire incident on board, for example, um, what is the best evacuation policy that they might have or how could we best put out fires on board um, a cruise liner or something like that. So there's um, aspects of the area that I work in um, with my colleagues that do feed into just the general community as well. So it's not just defence related. We're always looking at ways that we can help the broader community. Which is undeniably awesome. Did you want to jump in here, Mel? Yeah, I, I think it's also um, really important. A lot of research that does come out of defence, not only in Australia but around the world, also um, helps in a, in a lot of different ways. And as an example, with the COVID response, defence science did a lot of work around how we can minimise infection uh, in our hospitals and looking at the uh, the plastic visors that people wear and if we could 3D print those uh, and looking at respirators as well. So how we can take um, perhaps CPAP machines and, and make them into respirators if Australia was to need it in that sort of, you know, ultimate disaster response. So there's a lot of things that defence science also contributes, I guess, apart from what you traditionally consider as defence science. Yeah, and it sort of sounds like that's what we need to move away from, like, as society is thinking it's this, like, teeny, tiny, narrow, you know, there's about three things you can do and it's what you see on TV as opposed to, like, there's a huge amount of logistics and organisation and that that's really cool about the COVID response stuff. Mel, did you want to talk a little bit more about the Navigate program? Because Vanessa's made it sound 
like working as a scientist with defense is a fairly sort of, uh, I guess, collegiate experience with a lot of opportunities. So how do scientists get involved? Absolutely. So we have uh, the Navigate program up on our website, so the Defence Science and Technology website, and that holds all the information about the the program and, um, you know, what we're sort of looking for and how to apply. Uh, And we have applications open until the the 15th of November. So I'd encourage anyone who might be interested to jump online and have a look at the program. There's also some videos there as well, which explains it in a bit more detail. What are you most excited about for this program? I'm most excited to see uh, external, uh, I guess, academics or people who haven't considered defence science before to come in and just see the amazing things that we do as part of this organisation because I think um, it will be really surprising and eye-opening for a lot of people. I think so far the podcast has been surprising and eye-opening for me. So, (laughs) like, (laughs) that's just like a, what, 25-minute sampler. It's awesome. Uh, Vanessa, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I was just going to say as a researcher, I guess I'm excited to have new blood and new ideas and just new people to engage with within the organisation as well. It's, um, I guess, defence generally has some, you know, challenges with recruiting just because of, um, say, limits that we might have being a public service organisation. So, when you get the opportunity to apply for a defence role, like take it would be my <laughs> would be my suggestion. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited to see who comes in. I, I hope you get a awesome array of um, of people who are going to bring all sorts of new ideas. It'll be very cool. Are you able to talk a little bit about how the culture may differ, particularly from a traditional academia culture? either of you? Yeah, so I've come from uh, academia previously. So coming into defence science and technology, it's it's a little bit different in that I guess you don't have those teaching responsibilities. Um, we still have students that do come through, um, but you just get to, I guess, put your teeth into really great research projects and your time and effort is spent really work problem solving and working through those issues. Um, We also have um, a really great culture, I guess, where you can get involved in not only your research, but also corporate areas. Um, We do a lot of work um, through gender equity and those sorts of things. We have great staff groups, um, just a really, I guess, good community of people that come together. So I guess in that regard, it's a little bit different. And also, The benefit is, unlike academia, where a lot of the time you're on short-term contracts and things like that, this is a a permanent position, so you get to come in and you get to stay knowing you're going to stay, which is fantastic. And from like a work-life balance perspective, um, I guess, for the last two years now, a lot of us have been working from home and, you know, we might have got a bit comfortable in our at-home setups. We might have got used to like having a bit more flexible hours. How does that sort of stuff work at Defence? Defence is actually really flexible. It's probably one of the most flexible workplaces I've actually worked in, which will probably sound surprising. Uh, so with with COVID, a lot of us did work from home, but we have a lot of policies that allow you to continue to do so if that worked really well for you. Um, we also 
do a lot of work around uh, well-being as well to make sure people are making sure they're looking after themselves um, through COVID, but also post-COVID as well. So um, giving that flexibility, we have lots of uh, great things around different leave types as well. So um, if you've got kids or elderly parents or um, you just really want a better work-life balance, there's always those conversations you can have, which is, um, I think, one of the best things for me anyway about working for Defence. I've just found it a really positive experience. And I think it's probably worth noting, I can obviously see these people, you listening can't, no one's in uniform. (laughs) I'm in a hoodie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Vanessa's in a classic sort of, um, how to say, uh, web developer outfit, I would say. Um, (laughs) And Mel is, well, she does look a lot more professional than either myself or Vanessa, but they look very comfortable let's just say that did you want to jump in Mel yeah I was just going to say it's a it's a big common misconception I think people assume that when you work for defense you wear a uniform and you've got these really set rigid um, structures in place and it's it's not the case at all so as a researcher you don't wear uniform you're not obliged by the same rules as if you were in one of the services for example so it is a lot more relaxed I guess than what you think it might be yeah I don't think either of these people spend a lot of time ironing their shirts to get exactly the right creases necessarily. (laughs) I don't even think I own a shirt that requires ironing. (laughs) Back in the days where we could go to dinner parties and things and people would ask you, what do you do for a job? Maybe start with Mel. How do people respond when you say that you work for Defence? I often get uh, a lot of questions around, you know, what exactly do you do? You thinking I work in the specifically army space or navy or air force? Um, interestingly, I have come from a, a background in army. Um, <laughs> I was a combat engineer officer for about uh, eight years as a reservist. Um, but I guess these days I like to tell people that I work to improve inclusion in defence because that's something that's really important in a workplace. Uh, I'm so passionate about women in STEM. Um, being a woman in STEM myself, I, I've, you know, lived through some of those challenges and I've, I've seen people overcome those challenges and I'd just like to make it easier um, for people coming in, uh, removing those barriers. And so, yeah, I just, I guess I'm really passionate about it and I love talking about it with people. So uh, normally I chew people's ear off for a good half hour or so. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And uh, Vanessa? Yeah, so I guess when... People ask what I do, um, especially family (laughs) would originally sort of be like, oh, so if you tell me, do you have to then kill me? Kind of (laughs) commentary. Wow, that's an old joke. Very old joke. Still get it. Um, (laughs) Bit moth moth eaten that joke. (laughs) But I think it's more that um, there's this perception that everything is kind of secret squirrel and you can't talk about it and it's behind closed doors and you need like, you know, super secret security pass to like access anything. And that's just, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, like, obviously there's aspects of that within the work, but generally it's quite an open um, community, communicative uh, environment, um, both internally and externally. And we try really hard, um, especially with, as Mel mentioned earlier, the more together strategy is about how we can do more 
with everybody in the science and research community within Australia and even internationally. So it's all about being able to talk about your science and being able to engage in that broader community. Sort of following on a little bit from that, other than that clearly some jokes need to be retired. Um, Are there any particular myths or misconceptions about your work, about working in defence that you would sort of like to take this opportunity to do a bit of myth busting? Maybe Mel? Yeah, I guess for me, um, once you come into defence, you can leave and go back to academia or, um, you know, you can do a little bit of everything. I guess a lot of people seem to think you come out of academia or industry, you come into defence and then you stay there for the rest of your life. But that's definitely not the case. Um, We're trying to see more people come in and out so you can bounce between academia, industry uh, and, and somewhere like defence science. So um, I guess that is something that people don't always realise. It is a job for life, but, um, you know, it's great to go back out there and uh, see what else is in academia, bring bring new knowledge back into defence science. So It's not a one-way door. No, not at all. That's a good one. And it's also not a one-way door out of academia. Like, you leave, you can actually go back in. So it's, yeah not as clear-cut as it seems on Twitter sometimes. Uh, Vanessa, any myths? Um, Any myths? I guess perhaps one thing that I had to sort of dispel the myth amongst my friends was, and I think you mentioned it earlier, Amelia, that when you think of defence, you actually think of more offence or like the attacks or attack And it's a little bit like everything's about weapons and engagement and all that. But defense itself is like a massive community of an organization, of people, of of jobs within like Australia as a community itself. And so there are so many aspects of the work that you can get involved with. Um, Mel mentioned a few earlier from the research aspects, but and her job talks about it itself. It's like inclusion and how you can build inclusion within defence. And there's just so many different things that you do within defence science um, that it absolutely isn't just, you know, I don't know, thinking about drones and bombing and like that is just one big myth that I kind of want to want to put out there that it that's not everything that defense does um and there's just so much scope within the organization uh for you know greater things so yeah it sounds like one of the other benefits would be that your research would be applied like yes you it's it's not just a sort of like esoteric coming up with ideas or something like it's actually goes from an idea checking that it works and then actually executing it and then seeing that your research is actually making a difference yeah i like to think um defense science is kind of like a little bit like a a research sector of a an organization of like a um i don't know if you think 
know, Apple, for example, where they have like the little incubator research kind of hubs or something like that. It's like they have they have this um, end goal in mind and all their research is aimed to that and they have a customer set and um, and the requirements that they do to meet those customers' needs. And that's kind of what defense science is. It's you have this customer and you have this customer with needs and everything that you do in your research is aiming to help meet those needs of the customer. So you have you have a direct connection with an output or an outcome. And that's kind of really satisfying, I think. Sometimes in research, you can kind of, it's very exciting just to research generally. Um, but for me, I really like the idea of having um, an outcome for my research. Like what's the value, what's the impact of it and being able to see that linearly. Yeah, a very easy way to feel like at the end you have achieved something which is an important thing in a job. You mentioned that there's a lot of different parts of, I guess, that there's quite a diversity of sciences and research this happening. Are there any particular ones that you remember when you found out that defence research is that you were like, gosh, I didn't see that one coming? Um, definitely the food sciences. That was one that surprised me. <laughs> I, I didn't... Um... And it makes complete sense in that um, when you think about the end customer being the soldier and requiring like sustenance that you need to make sure that like your food rations give them as much sustenance and are as tasty as possible. Imagine living off something super um, uninteresting for months at a time. Um, I think one of the other things that makes complete sense now that I'm in it, but wouldn't have really thought about um, one of our big areas of research is in um, battery and battery technology. So it's like, um, you know, yeah, <laughs> coming up with both like the most efficient and the safest kind of um, battery technologies that we can have for all our different uh, platforms. Um, just, yeah, there's so many little, I guess, common sciences that are applied very specifically but that you know common science um thread is there and the batteries make so much sense when you think about it Just, <laughs> yeah. uh, mel were there any that particularly left out at you as being like oh yeah that's obvious but i hadn't thought about it before yeah i think for me it was psychologists i just didn't consider that we would have uh human scientists within you know, an organization which has a lot of platforms and, but people are our biggest asset. So it makes so much sense having psychologists and understanding things around decision-making and, you know, when people are put under pressure, what, what happens. So that's probably the biggest surprise for me, but makes so much sense when you think about it. Yeah, it really does. It's just, yeah, you need to, the, the more that we can understand about how people work, obviously the better we'll work. So, um, to start wrapping up, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you would like to share today, uh, Mel? So one, uh, I guess, last thing is just around the the Navigate program and what I guess we're looking for. So a lot of the times um, for these sorts of positions, you'd think you'd need a PhD or, or similar, but for this, we're looking for someone who's got um, you know, tertiary qualifications, whether that be a, a PhD, a master's, or even just equivalent experience 
and then a sort of five to 15 years is an approximate guide past that. So that's really what we're looking for. And I think it's important we don't always look for those set qualifications because people do, you know, for, for various reasons, not go through or down that path, but they are still valued and still uh, they can provide a lot of, I guess, experience and background, which is what we're after. Awesome. So it's not necessarily about like being able to check a whole lot of boxes, but it's more about you as a package of a person who's got a bit of enthusiasm, open-minded and got some ideas to share. Absolutely. If you're passionate, uh, we'd love to have you. Awesome. Vanessa, was there anything else that you wanted to share? Uh, I think for me, um, being you know, kind of selfish in a way, maybe not selfish, generalist. Um, I would love to see lots of women who might be listening to this apply for Navigate. I would love to see DST group increase, sorry, Defence Science and Technology group increase the number of um, females that we have at the mid-level in the organisation. I'm looking for comrades (laughs) I guess Um, people that I can learn from um, just I think diversity is such an important aspect in um, the culture of an organization and being I guess most STEM organizations would have you know less women than we would think is ideal within the organization and I would just love Love any woman listening to this who um, thinks this is interesting to please apply because I would love to see you around the corridors or or online if that's how it ends up. That sounds like a great call to action for the women who are listening. So there you go. You can, I'll be including the link to the Navigate program in the show notes, obviously tweeting out as well. Um, Yeah. And I think it sounds like a really great opportunity for a lot of people. So think about all those, all that time you don't have to spend applying for those two-year contracts. It's a lot. It's a lot of your life you'd get back. Just saying. <laughs> uh, finishing up, I would love if either of you have, or if both of you have shout-outs. So people who you think are doing an awesome job, Anyone who you think just deserves a whole lot of COVID-safe virtual high-fives from our listeners, starting with Vanessa? I think, yeah, COVID-safe high-fives. I would like to give a shout-out to my team and the people that I work with um, in Defence Science and Technology Group because it has been a challenging year and a half, transitioning to working from home, um, being in and out of the office, um, you know, not being able to have as much of that collegiate experience that we're used to in our organization with our colleagues and friends Um, and I miss you all and I'm really looking forward to getting back into the office to hang out with you all again. That was really nice. Uh, Mel? I guess I'd like to to give a shout out also um, to the team I work in They've been absolutely fantastic. We're we're across the country. We're not just in one state, so we're often virtual, uh, but just been such a supportive environment. I'd also just like to acknowledge all the universities doing it pretty tough right now um, with a lot of the international students. So I'm sending my best wishes and um, yeah, I hope I hope you're all doing well in this in this really difficult time. 
And on top of that, I'd like to give a quick shout out to NYSF who promoted this program on their socials and as a result mean that I now get to share this awesome opportunity and story with you guys. So thank you, NYSF. And thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Mel, both for coming on and sharing such an interesting insight into a whole other world. It's been awesome. Thanks for having us, Amelia. Thanks, Amelia. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this podcast, you're an absolute gem of a human being and you should head over to avidresearch.com.au, sign up for our amazing email newsletter and get all the download on the upcoming episodes and maybe even get a bit of a sneak peek about what's coming next. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you should definitely subscribe. We're on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify and even Google these days. Thanks. Thanks.